Welcome to Strategic Insights Radio brought to you by Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. If your dream is to start a business or not-for-profit or to grow your existing enterprise, Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. is ready to help you make it happen. Our business, marketing and technology consulting services get you started with financial projections and business planning, developing marketing plans and implementing them, growing your market through branding, website development, and social media management, increasing productivity with process improvement and automation, and selecting and using the right technology with our business technology strategy consulting and implementation services. I'm Dave Wilkins, Chief Operating Officer of Sterling Rose Consulting Corp., and my guest today is Torin Togut. Torin, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Great. Now, Torin has practiced law for more than 41 years. In June of 1977, he began practicing law in Decatur, Georgia, as a sole practitioner. And in September of 84, he began working for Georgia Legal Services Program, which provides legal assistance to low-income Georgians in the areas of education and disability rights law. In 2006, he was awarded the first Cousins Public Interest Fellowship at the University of Georgia Law School to establish a clinical program for low-income families to receive legal assistance for their children with disabilities. And from September 2008 until June of 2012, he served as, the adju as an adjunct professor at the University of Georgia School of Law. He's currently engaged in the private practice of law, including but not limited to civil rights, education, appeals, civil litigation, family and juvenile law, and administrative hearings. That's a lot. Um, he has presented at many national, regional, and state and local conferences and seminars on the rights of children and adults with disabilities. He's also written two law review articles on issues related to special education and has practiced law in the federal and state courts in Georgia and Vermont. And he is member of the federal district courts in Georgia and Vermont, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and the United States Supreme Court, which obviously everybody knows is in a lot in the news lately. And welcome again, Torin. It's great to have you here. And I promise we won't talk about the Supreme Court today. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, let, I know that the topic that we really, I did really want to focus in on today is is the whole area of civil rights because you know you hear you, you hear a lot about you know my rights have been violated and this is a civil rights violation and and so on and so forth and. I think there's a lot of, of misconceptions and misperceptions and not really understanding what is civil rights and what are civil rights laws and, and you know, who's affected and who needs to be concerned, and especially from a small business owner's perspective, if there are issues that they've got to be concerned about as well. So help me understand, what, what is civil rights and what are civil rights violations? Well, David, I think you framed the, the questions very well. So in general, uh, civil rights are violations of a federal constitutional right, such as the First Amendment that we hear about often, of mm -hmm. course, the Fourth Amendment, which deals with search and seizure, and the Fourteenth Amendment, which deals with due process and equal protection of the laws. Those are the most common constitutional violations that most of us know about that 
are probably also the most litigated areas. Then the other area of violation is a federal law. So if there's a violation of a federal law, that can constitute a civil rights action. Now, there are literally thousands, tens of thousands of different federal laws that uh, exist, and depending on the circumstance, if there's a violation of that law, an individual can bring an action in federal district court and ask the court for what is called equitable or injunctive relief mm-hmm. or and or damages, monetary relief. So those uh, generally that is the large umbrella of civil right violations. Okay. Now, you know, one, particularly from a business perspective, I think the one we hear a lot about, and more so now probably than ever in the past, has been this whole issue of First Amendment. You know, with, with social media the way it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people have to be careful of what they say. Uh, you know, and the question is, if I say something and my employer doesn't like it and he fires me, uh, you know, is that a civil rights violation? That question has certainly been asked of me from time to time. (laughs) And so for the listeners, uh, those in the audience, it's important to distinguish between things that are said between two private individuals Mm -hmm. and things that involve the state, when I mean the state or government, the federal government or state. So in every civil rights violation where there's implicated a constitutional right, such as the First Amendment, there has to be a state actor. So that means some governmental official, could be county, could be municipal, could be state actor, that would trigger a First Amendment violation. But if you're at work and you say something and you're in a private employer, not a public one, mm-hmm. then uh, that doesn't constitute a first a violation of the First Amendment. Okay, so basically the employer does have that right to say, you know, no matter what the scenario is, where, where you are, any place, if anything you say that has, has any way, shape, or form could implicate uh, or come back to the company in any way, shape, or form, then I can discipline you as appropriate. Pretty much that's true, although there is an exception, which I don't characterize as a civil rights violation, but, for example, under Georgia law, Mm -hmm. uh, I had a case many years ago that I had a client, a private client, who spoke out against a private nonprofit organization because she believed that her son was being abused. Mm -hmm. So the... Nonprofit organization sued my client for defamation. Okay. However, she filed what is called the counterclaim, a countersuit against this nonprofit organization under what is called SLAP. That's an acronym. I'm not going to <laughs> go into it now, but it's called the SLAP lawsuit. And the purpose, and virtually, I think all states have it, and Georgia certainly has one. And the purpose of that is to claim that your right to of speech is being infringed because the employer in this case or not quite an employer employee situation but 
a, a situation between two private individuals sure. and entities. Um, like a customer and a, uh, a business owner, right, for example. That you have a right to complain about the services in a certain sense, and if they're trying to deny that right by filing a defamation action to silence you, then you can file this slap lawsuit. So that's okay. uh, an exception to the rule. All right. Okay. So basically, uh, there's probably a lot of people think, well, I can say anything I want and I'm protected by the First Amendment. And the reality is that's not so. It's, it's really more, if it's dealing with more government agency related. So what would be a good example in, 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 that would, would fall in that area? Well, the phone calls that I receive generally are issues that involve law enforcement. Okay. So that's fairly common. And we see those situations on television from time to time mm -hmm. where there's a videotape or something that shows that the police officer allegedly is acting excessively physically against an individual uh, and arresting them. So there are instances, for example, with law enforcement, it could be county or city law enforcement, where there's a traffic stop and things get out of hand mm -hmm. and then the police officer arrests that individual but does it in such a way that's excessive use of force. So. That's fairly common. A lot of people who are arrested believe that there's excessive use of force and therefore a civil rights violation. Right. But not every instance where the police arrest someone and uses force is a civil rights violation. In fact, probably very few of them are. So minimal force that's used under the circumstance is acceptable by the courts. Uh, it has to be extremely excessive and unusual force that has to be used uh, for it to trigger a constitutional violation that has any chance of success before a court of law. Okay. Okay. Now, some of the other areas, you know, we, obviously we've talked about uh, First Amendment, but, you know, you've talked about the Fourth and, and some of the federal laws. What would be an example of a, a federal law scenario that is something that people could relate to? Well, for example, uh, employment. We'll get into that arena. Sure. So that's an important. So yeah. most people are familiar with uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, have heard about it in some mm -hmm. way. So therefore, an employer cannot terminate you, suspend you, or take an adverse employment action against you because of your race, your religion, your national origin, your nationality, mm -hmm. for example. So if a female, for example, is, is working and there's a hostile environment against that woman, I'm not going to get into the Supreme Court, but we'll talk about <laughs> sexual assaults. Sure. So if there's a, an environment where there's a constant sexual assault and harassment against a woman, uh, and the, that is the purpose to discriminate against her, and then there's an adverse action taken against her 
because she complains about it, uh-huh. then that could constitute a violation of a federal law, which okay. is the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay. Are there other, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people have, at least have heard of it, you know, because it does get uh, that, that phrase, the Civil Rights Act of 64, gets ref- mm-hmm. referred to a lot. But are there other, are there other civil rights laws uh, that have been passed over the years since then that are uh, you know have have an implication that people have to be be concerned about as well particularly if, again from a business owner's perspective how do you how do you manage it and how do you protect yourself well gosh there there's so many <laughs> federal laws that may apply david but okay. trying to uh, get into an employment situation yeah. uh, which maybe you and your listeners are most familiar with Let's take an example of uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act. So okay, that's, a, yeah. that's a federal law. Yep. So that's for, uh, again, for your audience, simply deals with uh, hourly wage and overtime and things of that nature. So if you're an hourly employee and you work over 40 hours a week, I'm simplifying it, then you should be paid time and a half. Right. And if the employer doesn't, they could be, sued under the Fair Labor Standards Act for violation of that law. Right. And actually, that was just updated, uh, what, it was a couple of years ago now? The, 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 some updates were just put in place. Uh, it it certainly has been amended. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah, that is something that's a good, a, a good example. Uh, yeah. And, and there are, again, a myriad of federal laws that apply to employment situations. Mm-hmm. America with Disabilities Act is another one, of course. Uh, there are, you know, Title Seven, which we talked about. Then there are other laws that interface with employment situations. So employers have to be really uh, on guard. They have to be very knowledgeable in, about these laws so they can comply with them uh, regarding employees. And now most uh, employees, of course, are employees at will in the state of Georgia. It's an employee. Be, uh, will means someone who can be fired for any reason. Mm-hmm. So unless you have a contract or something else that protects your rights, then you're not entitled to that. Or if you're a public employee, then you have additional rights under the First Amendment, for example. Teachers and other employees who speak out against their employers sometimes can file civil rights actions against their employer. Mm, okay. Now, what are... Um what are, are there are there are there state laws that that come into play or is this is this really largely at the federal level well again the concept or the issue of civil rights mm-hmm. again involves a federal constitutional right okay. or a violation of federal law there are of course state laws that apply to employment situations but in different ways. So Georgia, for example, doesn't have laws that are parallel to the federal laws that protect workers for the most part. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if, if, but if you had a federal or a state law, for example, and I I know maybe get a little deep here, but if you had a state law that was in, in conflict with the federal law and, you know, could you get into a, a, probably a sense like you could probably get in a mess with that in terms of figuring out civil rights issues. Well, the way it works in general is that if there's a federal law, it preempts okay. a state law. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, and there's much litigation about 
what is called preemption of whether or not a federal law preempts a state law. But in most cases, it does. So you're protected under federal law, even if the state law may be in conflict or doesn't address that issue if the federal law does. Okay, so if, if you, you are, you know, that would be kind of like the, the scenario that says, all right, I, I've done something, the state has, has, has basically arrested me or, or suing me for something that I've done, but I'm in compliance with the, with the Constitution, then can I, could I go and sue the, the state? Well, probably not. No. (laughs) (laughs) So one, to file a lawsuit, and I am often asked issues, why can't I sue Uh such and such? Why can't I ensue, you know, law enforcement or a city or the state? As I try to explain, in most cases... You have to go back to, is it a violation of a federal law Mm -hmm. or a violation of a federal constitutional right? If it's not, then you probably can. And even if there is such a violation, there's something called immunities. So qualified immunity applies to individuals such as police officers, law enforcement. So even if you sue them for damages and your rights have been violated, unless the court believes that they violated a clearly established right, then the law enforcement individual is immune. Okay. Now, if you want to sue the municipality, that's very difficult because you have to show in most cases, let's say with law enforcement and excessive force. So to tie in the municipality, you have to show that Either the municipality didn't properly train their law officers or they ratified the conduct of the law officer or they knew of an abusive practice that exists with that particular officer and did Mm -hmm. nothing about it. So those are difficult facts to show. Yeah. So that's why most people who file civil rights lawsuits don't win. Okay. So, yeah, it goes back to how much much proof do you really have that that is – verifiable and corroborated and and is on point to the uh, to the violation of the of the law or the, or the constitution absolutely and i think your audience and hopefully others should be aware that to take on these endeavors of suing a municipality and or a government in general or individuals who work for government is a, a very arduous deal it yeah. it shouldn't be taken lightly and it requires a very skilled, trained lawyer who deals in this area. It can be expensive because sometimes one needs experts. And uh, there are something called depositions and things of that nature. So one must be prepared to fully, if they're going to jump in those waters, the litigation waters, they need to be aware of the pros and cons and the costs of that litigation. Okay. Now, it, it, you kind of on a, on a grand, you know, if you look at it from a big picture perspective in sense of the number of people that contact you and say, Torin, here's the situation. I think my civil rights have been violated. If you looked at that as, you know, from a big picture perspective, what percentage of those are probably 
valid and you know and you, and you could say yeah i think you're right let's we the, you may have a case here the way i'll answer that question <laughs> david is that there are probably or people call me up and they say they've been discriminated against at work or mm -hmm. so forth and so on because of my race religion etc and i tell them you know you're probably right Maybe this did happen, but you have to prove it in a court of law. Yeah. I mean, and that's very, very difficult uh, because you have to have cooperation. You have to have some other evidence other than your own word often to be able to prevail. So I would say there may be people who call me who truly something happened to them, but it's not provable mm -hmm. or they can't afford the litigation. Of those cases, though, that uh, I may accept and uh, try to litigate, I would say very few of them, you know, are often successful. Okay. You know, a small percentage. I can't give you a exact percentage. Oh, no, I, but, I wasn't expecting but a, that. But, yeah. a, but a small <laughs> percentage of individuals are successful because even if you win in federal district court, um, the government can appeal. Sure. And vice versa. If you lose, then you have to appeal. So it can be a very long process. And it, again, it takes commitment both on behalf of the individual and the, the lawyer or lawyers who are involved to hopefully vindicate your constitutional or federal rights. Yeah. I've heard some of these cases can drag on for years. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a yeah, the question is who, who has the. As an individual, who has the time and the resources to be able to sustain uh, a protracted uh, litigation? That That's absolutely true, and one would say that it's a very small percentage of individuals who can sustain the longevity of a lawsuit and prevail. Now, if if you really think you have a case— or you know, or you're experiencing what you feel is is a, a legitimate violation of your civil rights. What should you be doing to, you know, better, you know, prepare yourself as well as possible so that you can, you know, go forward and and, and come to you and, and say, Torin, here's my here's 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 my case. Here's all the documentation I've got, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you say, Wow, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish that would happen more often. However, most people don't wear that something bad is going to happen to them until it already occurs, and then they're not prepared uh, the, with the documentation mm -hmm. and the witnesses, and they have to retroactively, so to speak, look back and try to get that information. So I do have people call me from time to time, and I try to advise them to be proactive, sometimes an employment situation where they feel they may be fired or suspended or something like that, and I try to tell them how to document. And that's the most important thing is to document, document, and document. document. Because if you don't document, it didn't happen. Right. And for those who, unfortunately, something's already bad happened to them, then they have to reconstruct the past to try to get all the facts to show that their rights were violated. Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to advise them is to go back, look at your emails, look at uh, text messages, look at letters, look at other writings and talk to witnesses who 
might be or had been involved with the situation and talk with them to see whether, you know, sometimes I'll ask a client to have their witnesses call me to see whether or not they have a case. Mm -hmm. Okay. So some of the example of is a sexual harassment that's going on, which is probably, <coughs> excuse me, something that's going on um, more than once. If once you identify that this has happened, that's the time to start documenting everything. Right. Now, usually one instance of sexual harassment is not going to pass muster yeah. in a federal court of law. But if it's a pattern, then yes. And I agree that individual then needs to consult with a lawyer, hopefully at that time, has the wisdom and foresight to do that. We often act, as you know, with twenty twenty hindsight. Oh, yeah, for sure. But if one has the information and knowledge, then you can start documenting Maybe get a tape recorder to show that you're being harassed and things like that. And then when something bad happens, termination, reduction in your job duties, reduction in your salary and wages, demotion, something like that, then you're ready to move forward. And then even then you have to file a compl uh, what is called a complaint with the EOC, Equal mm -hmm. Employment Opportunity Commission, first before you can even file a lawsuit in federal court. Ah, okay. Now, what are some of the, the reliefs uh, that you can, can uh, seek for damages in a, in a civil rights action? Well, again, that's a very, very broad question, David. <laughs> we can spend the next few hours just discussing that area of the law. Every time I do research in this area, I'm overwhelmed with the uh, number of cases and statutes that one has to read and Come familiar with. So I'll try to just give you a short summary. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. So, for example, uh, if your rights have been violated because of, let's say, a First Amendment or Fourth Amendment violation, usually you, you're entitled, unless there's some actual damage mm -hmm. that you can prove, meaning out of pocket expenses. Now, let's say in an excessive use of force by a law enforcement officer if you can show you've been you know you, your arm was broken and you have medical expenses certainly that is something that you can sue for but in most cases there isn't any actual damage so you can sue often for emotional damage or psychological harm mm -hmm. um, maybe loss from work uh, for those types of uh, civil right violations there often is not and, and in those cases, there isn't a tangible number that you can place on it. It would be up to the parties that either negotiate a settlement or for a court of law to determine or a jury to determine what your emotional damages were in that instance or embarrassment or uh, humiliation, things of that that you can sue for. Now, in employment situations, it's more concrete you can sue for back wages mm -hmm. and front pay and reinstatement and uh, things of that nature so again it all depends on the type of civil right violation of what type of monetary damages you can mm. seek in a court of law okay yeah so it's 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 a it sounds like it's a really challenging area and uh, I suspect there's probably a like a lot of things that the 
um, you know, if you're watching watching the media or watching you know movies and TV shows and all that, where these things come up, that uh, the, the that the what what you see there is, is not anywhere near what the reality really is. Gosh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, in fact, uh, as you know, I I often watch you know Law and Order or other. Oh yeah, uh-huh. you know. Uh, although Law and Order is some, I would say, has some reality to it. Non, it's not uh, totally fiction. There are other shows that are much more fictional, mm-hmm. uh, but they're they're Hollywood. It's for entertainment. Exactly, it's not the real world. If uh, people knew what lawyers really do, which is really in a courtroom and do the things that are shown on TV, they'd fall asleep <laughs> because a lot of the things we do are pretty boring. <laughs> Uh, and they're not in a court of law. That's right. at the end of the case. That's not at the beginning. Yeah, there's an awful lot of of of, of um, correlation, I would say, or similarity between lawyers, what they do on a day to day basis, and and tax accountants. <laughs> right. Well, and tax law in itself. And is, tax law in itself, exactly. Right. Yeah. But I would say that I probably. My cases are probably maybe more interesting than hopefully uh, tax lawyers' cases Could are. Could very well be. But at least to the general public or TV audience. Yeah, but the bottom line, yeah, a lot of it is research, and it's it's digging through the uh, all the evidence and, and sorting out what's uh, what's fact from fiction. Right, it's a lot of investigation and yeah. research and legal writing and letters and emails and things of that nature. And one that spends little time in a courtroom in civil rights cases unless they actually go to trial. And very few cases, at least in, in my experience in Georgia, actually go to trial. Okay. Okay. So, so, that, so the reality is that when you're really looking at civil rights, I mean, and obviously it is an important issue and it's, uh, nobody should have their rights uh, violated. You know, the reality is it's, it's, it's a tough area to to really be able to protect yourself and, I agree. and and be able to effectively seek the right relief um, unless you've done a great job and understand that if something is if you sense something happening then you need to be protecting yourself right away and that's comes from the documentation we talked about and if you're a business owner what you've really got to focus on is making sure you understand what the laws are, which we've talked about before in many cases on, on, on the earlier shows, but you have to you have to know the laws. There's no there, you know ignorance of the law is not an excuse for a business owner. You know? Absolutely, employers must be well aware of the laws, and they can't claim I didn't know, and that's why I didn't comply. I've had I remember I interviewed a fellow it was a while back and. He didn't comply with uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act, mm-hmm. and he treated his employees independent contractors, which he shouldn't have, and he got into a mess because of that. And I said, well, you're just going to have to deal with it now. Oh, but- yeah, yeah. Oh, that, oh, that whole 1099-W2 issue, <laughs> oh, man, that's just a talk about a— It can be tricky. It can be tricky. That can be a real swamp. Absolutely. Well, Torrin, this has been— a great show. I think really appreciate you being on. I think we've uh, hopefully we've helped everybody understand a little bit more about what the realities of civil rights law is all about and litigation and what what you can do and, and what you may not be able to do. But uh, again, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me, David. I have enjoyed our conversation in the last half hour or so, and hopefully your audience is 
now uh, a tiny bit more aware, perhaps, or maybe oh, yeah. a greater, I'm to sure a greater extent, aware of some of the issues in civil rights cases. And, you know, my parting words simply are that if you are unsure, pick up the phone or get on the Internet and contact a lawyer who knows this area to get advice. And speaking of that, how would, they, how would somebody get in contact with you? Well, they uh, can go to my website, which is www.togetlaw.net, or they can email me at torin, T-O-R-I-N, at togetlaw.com. And that's T-O-G-U-T. T, law.com, or they can call me at 678-372-1829. I take cases in all areas of, the, of all counties of the state of Georgia. Super. Well, thank you again, Torrin. It's been a great, uh, great honor to have you on the show. Thank you again. All right. Great. Again, this has been Strategic Insights Radio on Business Radio X. To find out more about Torrin and civil rights and other legal areas as well, you or, or to learn more about Sterling Rose Consulting Corp., you can contact us at Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. at 678-996-1312 or visit sterlingroseconsultingcorp.com. Again, this is Dave Wilkins. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.